Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. go to our fourth reading as we go to Lent, what we do is we take time to celebrate each week and remind us that we're moving closer to Easter. And Lent is different than Advent. In Advent, we light a candle each week. In Lent, we extinguish a candle each week. Even before the world was created, God knew that Jesus would be the way, the truth, and the life. For all who believed in him, but God didn't just ignore his people then, waiting until the time came for Jesus. No, he gave them a way to be forgiven. If they offered sacrifices from a heart of worship, they could renew their friendship with God as they proved their reliance on him. But people did not rely on God. Some did not follow his way of sacrifice and worship. And there was an even deeper problem. Many may have followed the outward ritual, but they didn't trust God in their hearts, and they didn't love him. They didn't live lives that reflected his glory. The scripture says that the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meetings, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meetings, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, and you would not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. With what shall I then come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, In the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, and they did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all the words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer yes. And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from the lips. This is the word of God. 
Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to give. You called us to give, not out of reluctance or out of duty, but with a cheerful, generous heart. For you are a generous, cheerful giver yourself. And Father, as we emulate you, we give as we trust in you for all things. And we thank you for the opportunity as this church to do the work you've called us to do. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Let's then go to our pastor's prayer. And this is the time in which we just come together as a community and just pray that God would just encourage us as we come before him. Join with me. Would you bow your heads? What a mighty God you are, O Lord. You're master of all things, creator of all that exists, both visible and invisible. Your knowledge, O Lord, is perfect and absolute. You are a good, wise God whose decisions show your love, mercy, and justice. You're deserving of all honor, glory, and power, and worthy of all admiration. We come before you this morning humbled by your majesty and faithfulness to us. Though not deserving of goodwill, you have granted us mercy by making us alive with you. You have prepared a place for those who at one time were rebellious children of disobedience. And we come this morning to consider you in all your wonder to lift up your holy name. Reveal yourself to us in a new and mighty way this morning, we ask. Some here need to be refreshed by your spirit. Some need to be encouraged in their struggles. Some need to be rebuked and chastened for their ongoing disobedience and haughty spirit. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we may properly express our love for you. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Let us not leave our first love that's found in your redemption. We come before you this morning to plead for mercy and grace in our struggle with sin and our suffering. May you direct our hearts to you in order to find the comfort and solace you willingly give. We thank you for sending your Son to bear our penalty and to secure our right standing with you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to James chapter 1. As we just continue in our study, we're very early in this book. We're only on verse 4. And we will go faster than one verse at a time, I promise. At least for today. It's so good to see you. I hope you've had a good week. I think this is going to be a message that spoke to my heart and I think will speak to yours as we hear the words of James and how to suffer well. Pressure, according to Webster's Ninth New Collegiate Dictionary, is defined as the burden of physical or mental distress, the constraint of circumstances, the weight of social or economic imposition. Many of us understand pressure. Anyone here say, I understand pressure? I understand it very, very well. We live it and we experience it daily, do we not? Many times we liken our lives to living in a pressure cooker. Some of us enjoy and love pressure, though. For some of us, it's what we thrive on. We, it's what other people call procrastination. We call motivation. Anyone here like me on that? It seems like it's sometimes that's where it works best. We thrive under it. We wouldn't want it any other way. But to others, that pressure can be very, very daunting. There is a breaking point in that pressure, isn't there? It gets to be too much, and we cry out, I just, I can't take it any longer. We cry out for relief, for help. Yet at the same time, we understand that 
pressured, it's required many times to help mold us and make us. We recognize that the times of suffering, the times of pressure has helped make us who we are today. And like silver and gold that is put under intense heat and fire to burn away all the impurities found within it, our lives have been shaped by the crucible of the pressures of life. In today's passage, James is writing to a group of Christians that have been living under some intense pressure. As we saw last week, James is writing to those that have been scattered among the Gentile nations due to the persecution of the church. They are suffering from poverty, oppression by the rich, persecution from friends and families, illness, and the consequences of their own personal sins and decisions. And in the midst of this pressure, this suffering, James gives them a unique imperative, a command, if you will, that to them must have seemed unloving and probably cold-hearted. So with that, join with me if you have your Bibles or James chapter 1 as we look at 2, 3, and 4, where James writes to those people. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and yet and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Father, we take these words to heart. There are probably many people this morning that are suffering through many different types of trials. Maybe each and one of us have something different from others, but yet we understand pressure. And there may be many this morning, Father, that are crying out for relief and help. It's become too much. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word. Let it find good soil planted deep and let it produce the fruit that you desire that we may be ready to do what you called us to do. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Why do we suffer? When people suffer, there's many questions many times they'll ask of themselves. You may say, well, God must be mad at me. I must have done something wrong. Or your mind immediately goes to your own conscience and it convicts you and condemns you already. You may say, well, God must be punishing me. You might even say God doesn't care. Or you might be like others in the time of suffering and intense pain and pressure. They say this proves that God does not exist. Whatever question you may be asking, Scripture has the answer for us. And it's important for us to understand theologically, a biblical worldview, what does suffering mean to you and I? The world is full of suffering, is it not? So I want to share with you how we survive suffering. The first thing is the way that we think. The first thing you and I must understand is the source of suffering. Many times we're saying, why is this coming to me? Why does this happen to me? Why is it always me? And we're trying to pinpoint, why is this happening? We think it's you know, trial and error or, 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 or action and reaction. We need to understand the true source of suffering. Job said, shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? 
We're always saying God when it's good, but when it's evil, we think of something else. Scripture also tells us in Job that the Lord gave and the Lord what? Taketh away. But what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Echoing the words of James, though thousands of years. Let me give you four things that I've heard from another pastor, and I think these are good. What's the source of our problems? What's the source of our struggling? The first one we may see is temptations. You'll see these four come up. You and I suffer temptations. Temptations are designed by Satan to draw us away from God and to destroy our character. We're going to see this in a couple weeks as we continue in James. So Satan will come and he will tempt you, and his desire is to draw you away from God. Do not see God, and he wants to destroy your character. We understand this. And many of us may be suffering because of the consequences of our own decisions and our own temptations. Then there's trespasses. Trespasses are hurt, usually caused by the sins of others. Hence why Scripture says, forgive those that what? Trespass against you. There will be times that you're suffering by no fault of your own, but because of what was done to you by someone else. You've suffered through that. Those are sometimes some of the most difficult ones. And then there's troubles. Troubles are usually, but not always, they're consequences of our own sinful choices. Those are things that are the consequences of us falling into temptation. And so sometimes that may be a physical. Sometimes that may be a mental or a health or economics. Why? Because we did not make good decisions and they're just the consequences. And many times we have to look at that. Many times I've sat down with people who are coming in and they're looking for help and they're looking for financial help. But many times giving them more finances doesn't help because they can, it doesn't solve the troubles that they're really in. Then there's trials. And trials are the opposite of temptation. For trials are designed by God to draw us closer to Him and to build our character. So God desires to draw us to Him in our suffering, in those pressures, in those times of troubles, those times of difficulty. He wants to draw us closer in order to build up our character. We see this in Matthew chapter 4 when it says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness be tested. And so you need to understand what's the source of your suffering. Is it because of temptation? You're not fighting sin, you're falling to it. Is it trespasses, something that's being done to you? Is it troubles? Is it just a consequence of your own actions? Or is there truly a trial that's building your character? Understand the source of suffering. Now I should say among all these things, whether it's temptation or trespass or trouble, they all come from God. For God has decreed all that there is, and all things are in our life for a purpose. Many of us think, well, this must be accident, or this just must be coincidence, but Scripture doesn't give us that. All things that come in our lives are for God's purposes in us. So we must understand the source of suffering. Usually what we want to do is lay blame somewhere. If you're going to lay a blame, then you must lay it at the foot of Christ foot of God the Father. As He shares with us, there's going to be a purpose. So we need to understand the source of suffering. The second thing that we need to understand 
is we must accept suffering as God's will for us in this passage. You see, suffering is God's will for us. Like a muscle that becomes stronger due to resistance as we build up and we push against the resistance, it builds it up. And like that, so it is with our faith. When we test it, when we're tested by suffering and troubles and trials and temptations, you and I are, are tested by that type of suffering in difficult circumstances. It builds our faith up. This is the process of our sanctification. Dustin and I have this little thing that we always say, it's sanctification, stupid. Why did this happen to me? It's sanctification. What's sanctification? It's that process where God makes us more like Him. You've heard the word Christ-like? That's what Christian means. They're like Christ. It's how we become more like Him. Just as fire and heat, again, burn away the impurities of gold and silver, so it is with our faith. The impurities of our soul, of our sin, of our attitudes, and our nature need to be purified. The purpose of suffering, this is important, the purpose of suffering is not to see if we have faith, but to purify existing faith. So God is not testing you to see if you have faith, but to see how strong it is and to build it up. We learn to be faithful through enduring trials. When we trust God through suffering, the Scripture tells us here in James that it produces steadfastness, or another word means perseverance. Remember, he says, endure to the end. Persevere. He says, he that overcometh will receive a crown, will receive eternity. And that's what God has called us to do, is to overcome these types of circumstances. Douglas Moo, he writes in his commentary on James, he says that testing is intended to produce when believers respond with confidence in God and a determination to endure a wholeness of Christian character that lacks nothing. That defines godly character. Godly character is that which is built in us through the fires and the crucible of suffering and trials and persecution. In Romans chapter 5, look at the scripture with me. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified, been made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on to that, by the way. Through the trials and the sufferings that you may suffer, hold on to the fact that God is not mad at you. God is not punishing you, but yet you have peace if you are a child of God. Amen? Through Him, He says, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But look at go as we go on. Not only that, but we rejoice in our what? sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love, I love this, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You may be going through suffering right now, God says to accept it. Is our sufferings and the pressure made worse by us resisting it 
and fighting it. God has not called us to do that, but to accept it and to live and endure and to strengthen ourselves as we rest in Him through that suffering. And we can make all the analogies, you understand it, whether it's gold and silver or refining metals to just uh, athlete training and using resistance to build up the muscles and the endurance. You've seen pictures of football players who wear little parachutes behind them as they run, and they're using the resistance and the friction to build the muscles so they can run faster and run stronger. It's the very same thing that we do with little children. It's the sufferings of falling down and bumping their heads and continuing to walk. Why? Because it's part of our will for them that they grow and mature. And without the bumps and bruises, many times we don't learn. You and I understand this well, do we not? We have probably learned more through our sufferings and our trials and our persecutions and our pressures than we had through all the entertainment and the joys and the funs, do we not? It makes us who we are. And so we must understand the source of our suffering. You and I must come to the point that we need to accept the suffering as God's will for us. And here's a warning. Many times Scripture says, do not grumble and complain. Do not murmur. Do not be like the Israelites who murmured against God because there was a lack of food or not not enough food. Don't Don't murmur against God for the water. For you and I murmur and complain and grumble about our stake in life. You find yourself grumbling and murmuring against the very will of God. So where are you at in your life right now? What's suffering? It may be different for each and every one of you. But God has called you to accept it, to embrace it as God's will for you. It doesn't mean to give up. It doesn't mean not to to work through it. But He calls you to accept it and understand what its purpose is for you. You see, suffering is not the end. Maturity is. And let me tell you, I don't want to belittle your suffering. For some of you have gone through some very difficult ones. You might have gone through a death of a loved one. You might go through the illness or the suffering of someone very close to you. Or me or yourself have a very physical problem that prevents you from enjoying life. You may be going through an economic or financial one that has put you in a state that just seems like you'll never give out. Or maybe your pressure is in a a family, in a marriage, in a workplace. Your suffering is real and your suffering truly hurts. So let's acknowledge that, can we not? Let's not belittle it, but understand that it's true and it's real but understand what God's will for us is. J.C. Ryle, who was a turn-of-the-century English pastor, he writes, Suffering is a part of the process by which the children of God are sanctified. He says they are chastened to wean them from the world, which is what you and I need to do. We need to be weaned from the world and made them partakers of God's holiness. The captain of their salvation was made perfect through sufferings. Speaking of Jesus, and so are they. There never yet was a great saint who had not either great afflictions or great corruptions. If you don't believe me, look at Scripture. Grab great Christian biographies. Read about the men and women who have gone before us and seen what they endured. Philip Melanchthon 
says, where there are no cares, there will generally be no prayers. And many times I wonder if there's no prayer in our churches because people have not accepted their sufferings and lifted up their voice to God. So we must understand the source of suffering. We must accept suffering as God's will. And thirdly, we must respond to suffering with joy. As he says there in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers. Now that seems unloving, that seems unkind, it's kind of cold-hearted. What is he saying here? Does he not understand what's going on? James is writing from the safety of Jerusalem. He's the head man, now he's writing to people who have been cast out of Jerusalem. They're living among the Gentiles, they're being persecuted because of their faith. They have been ostracized. Who are you to tell me to count it all joy? Don't you love it? when you really have a trouble or suffering or something's going on in your life, and you go and share it with someone, and they want to up your story, they have something that's... You got one of those, those type of people in your life? They always got something bigger and badder, or they try to diminish what you're going through, or they just give you that little platitude. I've been guilty of it. If I've done that to you, I apologize. Let me know. Because sometimes we don't always understand what other people are going through. James says we must respond to it with joy. James, speaking through the Holy Spirit from the Word of God, says you must count it all joy. So not only do we accept it like a bitter pill, but we must say, yes, thank you. That's a hard one to follow. But he's echoing 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says, in this you what? Rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary. Read these words. Read the whole things. Capture what it says. You have been greed by various trials. It has been necessary. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You and I need to respond to the sufferings and joy. And now, again, I say that, and that's easy to say, but it's hard to practice, is it not? Because some of your, your sufferings are much deeper and much harder than maybe what I'm going through. We don't count it joy, but he says respond with it. Understanding its purpose, understanding from who it comes to, helps us to receive it with gladness and rejoicing, knowing that when it's necessary, when it comes to us, it's a good, wise king who says, you need this. And when we respond to it with joy, we know that it's going to glorify God because it makes us more like us. And let me tell you, this is a dramatic, a different paradigm that you and I have. For I believe many of us do not have a worldview that allows us to do that. That's what must be changed. That's why James is writing there. He says, the way that you're thinking is not correct. You need to understand the biblical way of what suffering is, and you need to receive that this morning. When we respond to suffering with joy, we become more like Christ. Take your Bibles very quickly if you have them with you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter 11 speaks about all those that were faith, and it speaks about those that were crucified, that were stoned, that were persecuted for Christ. And he says, these are people that we hold up. That's where the therefore comes from. 
Therefore, seeing that we are surrounded, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, by so great a cloud of witnesses, since people have gone before us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking, he says, in that race to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We're coming up to Good Friday soon. What was Jesus' mindset when he went to that cross? It says with joy. And you say, wait a second. I remember the Garden of Gethsemane. I saw the passion. I've seen the greatest story ever told. He cried, Father, take this cup from me. But what is it said? But only if it's your will. For Jesus' mindset was this suffering is important. It's God's will. I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to respond to the cross with joy. That's how you and I become more like Christ in our sufferings. He says, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, consider him, in verse 3, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Hold on to that. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You and I need to respond to suffering with joy. For when we do so, we are never more like Christ than then. For Christ suffered with joy. How do we survive suffering? How do we survive the pressure, the trials? One, by understanding the source of those sufferings. We also must accept suffering as God's will. Let's not find ourselves going toe-to-toe with an almighty God, the ultimate power of the universe, but accept it and respond to it with joy. Unfortunately, many people respond to suffering by trying to hide it and try to medicate themselves from it. They use drugs, they use alcohol, they use uh, sex and all sorts of pleasure experiments, maybe even to the point of just throwing themselves into a fantasy world where they can be who they want and everything is just perfect. But yet, all of that winds up empty. How can you and I, though, do these three things? How could James ask them to do this when many of them are losing their life? How could I sit here before you today and say in your death, in your suffering, in your physicalness, how can you endure that suffering? How can you accept it with joy? Well, this is where we're going to jump just a few verses in verse 12 of James chapter 1. For you and I do have a hope in enduring suffering. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive what? The crown of life which God promised to those who love him. How do you and I do that in the real world? How is it that we can do these things, accept it, understand it, and receive it with joy? is we put our minds on what's real and what's true. 
this poor passage correlates with the crown Paul writes of in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, where he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one that beats against the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is referring to the Greco-Roman custom in which it was to present a laurel wreath to victors in athletic contest of what we know of the Olympics. Today it's gold and silver and bronze medal. In those days it would be a laurel wreath. It would be a, a crown. And you and I are to view suffering as part of our race, as part of the friction that works against us. as part of our journey. Jesus, in speaking to the church of Smyrna, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he speaks to that church in Asia Minor. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. For many of us, suffering and trials just brings fear, anxiety, and worry. Here in this, uh, the Apostle John is writing, he says, do not fear, Jesus says. He says, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation, but be faithful unto death. And I will give you a crown of life. Suffering is not pleasant. But God reminds us that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Rick Warren says it well and is correct when he says that God doesn't waste a hurt. And some of you have struggled some different things. Whatever you can think of, God never wastes a hurt. It serves a purpose in your life. It's designed to draw you to God and to strengthen your character. For some, it may see that there is a God and that you're accountable to a holy God. And he says, come to me. For those that have come to him, it's to strengthen our character that may we find comfort and solace in him and glorify him as we endure that suffering. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also encouraged us in saying, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God's desire for us to accept it as joy. And that's the mindset that God is calling His people today. And I pray that you would see God's word as desirable and pure and loving and reliable for us this morning. And if you're here this morning and you may need to come and say, Father, I, I haven't thought of it that way. Lord, uh, clean my heart, change my mind. Help me to see things the way you see it. Some may be strengthened me. Let me accept it in your power. And some may be, Lord, I've accepted it, but not with joy. I have not had the hope that there will be beauty from my pain. And as the song says, it may not be today, but our hope is maybe not in this world, but the next. What does he say? 
He'll wipe everywhere, every tear from our eyes. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no pain. But we'll be with our Redeemer. Let me share with you these last few words. Thank you for being patient. What does that mean for us? That's all fine and dandy, Rob. That was 2,000 years ago in a land, land far, far away. For you and I, how are we to understand the source? How are we to accept it with joy? Let me give you this. As you and I are, how are we to handle suffering? As you and I need to understand that God is a good, providential, wise king. Let me say it again. Because in your suffering, you will see nothing but the suffering. But we must look past the pain. We must look past the hurt and the fear and understand that God is a good, providential, wise king. And every decision he makes is good and wise. Who loves his children and desires for them to grow spiritually strong, ready to face and endure all adversity with what? That's what you need to do this morning. You may not be there yet, but I pray that you would begin that journey today. Would you make that commitment? Father, I'm going to make this commitment. Spirit, help me to understand that you're a good, wise, providential king. And every decision is good and wise. And not only that, it's the best of all possible scenarios that you may have planned for me. That I may grow stronger, drawn to you, rejoicing through this pain that I will find relief and the crown of life. That's how you yourself need to handle and see suffering. But let me give you last one last word. is How do we help someone else? How do we help someone else? For you may be married to someone, you may be with someone, you may be a church member here that knows someone who suffered. How do we help those who are going through it? How do we get them to see the source and accept it and to trust in it? Well, first, weep with those who weep. So we need to empathize. They don't need us to come out and give them three things they need to do. We don't need to take the Bible out, throw them and say, accept it with joy! Bam! Now you just give them another suffering to go through. But weep with those who weep. And as we saw back in Galatians, let's bear one another's burdens. Quit making them go alone. Help them. Be that crutch, so to speak. Bear that burden with them. Carry it. Suffer along with them. In your bulletins, you'll see that I gave you a little extra paper called 10 Things to Do During Suffering. And I don't, I'm not going to go through all that, but I put it in there for your benefit and for your edification. Ed Welch is a psychologist. And here's some things that you can take later and go through. For I'd like to give you this closing word. It'll be on the screen. It's found from 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Amen? Let that not be you. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Would you do so? Father, thank you for your word. We need this word. We need to understand the source of our suffering. 
We need to accept it as your will for us. And we need to respond with joy, understanding that it's for this little time until we receive the joy of being with you. Strengthen us today. Change our hearts and our minds. Direct it to you, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.